All right, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Last Sunday we looked at the first three chapters of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses gives prior to the children of Israel going into the promised land. So they have arrived for the second time at the border of the promised land. The first time was 38 years previous to this. They uh, didn't have the faith to believe God, and so God turned them and allowed them to go back or sent them back into the wilderness and, until that generation uh, above 20 years old passed away, and now they're back again uh, at the edge of the promised land. They're on the east side of the Jordan River, and um, they are making preparation to go in, and so Deuteronomy is the second law. So Moses is recapping where they've been. We saw that in the first three chapters, where they've been physically and where they've been spiritually. And then he's challenging them uh, about what they're going to face and challenging them about their relationship to, to, to God. And that's been, that's been their problem. Um, they are fixing to enter a land of idols, and they came out of a land of idols. They came out of a land of false gods, uh, and they were subservient to uh, the nation of Egypt and their false gods, and God delivered them from that, and now they're going to enter into a land of idols, and God, uh, Moses gives them, the Lord through Moses gives them a vision of who he is. Uh, they need a clear vision of this is the God we serve and as they're going to go into this land of idols. I'm going to read you a quote by a man named Raymond Brown. He said, The problem they'd had in the past is defective vision. It didn't occur to them to look up. They looked forward 38 years before. They saw giants. They looked around and they saw their untested strength. And they looked backward, and they saw some measure of security in Egypt. Isn't it interesting, when we follow them through this journey, they had they'd forgotten they were slaves. They had forgotten they were in, in bondage, and, uh, because, but at least they were secure, and they weren't frightened of being overwhelmed by these foreign armies. So Moses gives them a renewed vision of whom God is. He, he, in this very first sermon, and this is the latter part of the sermon, he tells them who God is, and that's what we're going to go through in chapter 4 uh, this morning of Deuteronomy. And so the first five verses, he tells them that God is the one who initiated the relationship. And I want to say to you, God always initiates a relationship. You, you and I know, if we know Christ this morning, we know Christ because God spoke to our heart by the Holy Spirit, through His Word, through some person or some event, or some preaching, or some uh, radio program, God began to draw us to Himself, and He is the initiator of salvation at all times. He's the initiator of everything. He is sovereign God, and He is ruler, and He initiates especially His love for us and teaches us of that. Read with me the first five verses or follow it on the screen. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and out and possess the land which the Lord God your Father is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I commanded you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, 
For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. So the first thing God gave to them is he gave to them his word. And God is a God of his word. He is a God of propositional truth. Propositional truth means that I don't just have a sense of God. I don't just have a a feeling that there's a supreme being or there's a power behind the the, the world today, that I, unseen power. No, God revealed himself to us through his statues and his ordinances. God, God revealed his character to us. He revealed his attributes to us through his word. And this is his revealed word that we uh, have with us today. Um, when we read in, in verse 2, you, you don't add to the word, you don't, or no, you take away from it, but you keep it. Uh, it's, not our, it's not our place to judge the Word of God. It's our place to obey the Word of God, to respond to the Word of God. At, we're in trouble today in this Christian nation, in this, quote, Christian nation, because we began to reinterpret the Word of God. We've added to, we've taken away, uh, we've said that this, what we read in uh, Exodus and Leviticus and when we read the Ten Commandments, and we're saying that those were for that time and not for today. Because evidently God didn't understand what life would be like today. God didn't understand what, what my identity might want to be that I would choose. God didn't understand uh, that I might fall in love with a person of the same sex. That God didn't understand that I don't have to be moral, that we live in a permissive society. See, God didn't understand that back then. Now, if you believe that, you're in trouble. You're, you're in bad trouble uh, because God, one of his attributes is he, he, he is unchanging. He has not changed. It, this is his word, and it is unchanging, and he has said to us we're not to change it. You come to the end of the New Testament, and so people want to say, well, that's Old, that's old Testament. So you come to the end of the New Testament, and you go into the book of Revelation and the very end of it, and it says the very same thing. You don't take away from this, and you don't add to it. Uh, this is God's revealed word to us, and he reveals himself to us. And so we have a God who has revealed himself. You, you read the Psalms, and you, we recognize that we see God through the creation. When you see, if you've had children or grandchildren, you see that baby born, you think, what an amazing thing. This, this has to be God. When, when you understand the, 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 the composition of the human body, you think, that has to be God. When you understand the balance of the atmosphere that we dwell in and the gravity, you, all, all the things that science is looking at, you say that has to be God. No, no, no one could do that but God. So we have this innate understanding from the creation that there is a God, but then we also have him revealed to us, and we have his character, we have his attributes, we have his love for us, we, we have his provision for us revealed to us, through his word. He is a God of his word. It's interesting, you go in John chapter 1, and we read that Jesus is the word of God, and the word was made flesh. And so Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He modeled the word of God. He modeled everything we read 
in, in the Scripture. So first, God gave them His Word. And then second, He gave them uh, in this Moses is revealing, Moses speaking on God's behalf, He reveals them a path to life and fullness, or a life of fullness. Read with me in verse 6. Therefore, be careful to observe them, these statutes that I gave you, for this is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. I just read about, there's a, uh, in Europe, I can't remember what museum it's in, but there's a painting of an African national who's come to the Queen of England and asking, what is, this, what is the political success of England? This is not the present, or the, the queen who just died, but this is like Victoria. So we're going back a long way. So what is, what is the political success of England and of the United Kingdom? And the United Kingdom then is spread throughout the world. And they were powerful, and they were good, and they were benevolent and doing good. And so in this portrait, she's handing him a Bible and saying, this is the political success of the nation of, of the United Kingdom. And this is what God is saying. This is what he's, he's saying. If you observe these things, you observe these statues, uh, all the people say, surely this is a great nation. It's, it's a wise and understanding people. And that's how we started out. We started out not as a Christian nation, but based upon Christian principles. And so that's how we started out. Then listen to what God said, verse 7. For what great nation is there that has, a, has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him? Now, that, that's still true. That's still true today. No, no, God's saying to these people, Israel, no one has known me like you know me. No one is, I have revealed myself to anyone like I have to you. And, and I've been close to you, and you can call upon me for whatever reason. Verse 8, And what great nation is there that has had such statutes and righteous judgment as are in this and all this law which I set before you this day? I want to remind you, the commandments and the statutes, not just the commandment, not just the ten themselves, but all the statutes that God gave them. He, he, gave, them, he gave them the dietary law for their protection. And he said that I'm not going to, you, you, you obey these and none of those diseases that Egypt suffered will be upon you. And so they lived in that desert and, and they didn't have those diseases because they observed the dietary laws. He, he gave them sanitary laws about when, a, when, a, when someone has a leper or they have a blood disease or something, you separate them and you quarantine them and he, and, and you wash things, and you purify things, and you wait seven days. And, and then he gave them the moral law. And the moral law is, and, and into the Ten Commandments. He's saying, if you want to live in a society... You see, they were slaves and had to obey their masters. They didn't have freedom to choose. And he said, but if you want to live in a free society with these... Then this is how you treat me. This is how you treat each other. This is how you think about yourself. And that's what the Ten Commandments say. It, Instead of being a fence to fence you in, it's what I thought when I got saved. I thought it was a fence to fence you in. It is a, it is a fence to protect you from, from the world and from yourself and from each other. It, it is a fence to pr protect you for, for, the, for God's purposes. 
and, and for his glory and for our good when we live by those moral principles that he gave. So he gave them his word. He gave them a path as no other nation to a life of, of, of fullness. And that's still true today. I, you know, I, I pray for my grandkids and you probably pray for yours. And I want them, I want them to be happy. I want them to be successful. But I want them to be at peace with God. I want them to have the, the peace of God within their heart because that's, that's worship and that's when they're blessed. Whether they're rich or poor or whether they're successful, and what we, who, who knows what successful is. You know, but if they have the peace of God in their hearts, they're going to do just fine. Isn't that true? And if I have the peace of God in my heart, I'm going to do just fine if I trust in Him. That's, and, and He Himself is our path to that. Uh, it is not, it, and we, we live in those statues that he gave us, and we have this opportunity to, to live like this great nation that has the statues, verse 8, and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you today. And then he reveals his glory, verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. You remember? We studied that uh, weeks ago or months ago, and uh, they came out, and they'd just come out of the land of Egypt, and they were not a, a cohesive nation. And God told Moses, you have them uh, clean themselves and uh, abstain from uh, sexual things, and, and you have them be presented before me on this mountain, and I'm going to speak. Okay, and then we have, a, we have a summary of what happened then. In verse 11, then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. I, I want to thank no other nation has ever had this direct contact with the glory of God. No other nation ever, ever stood at the, at the base of a mountain and God's Shekinah glory overcame that mountain and overshadowed that mountain and the mountain shook and the fire and he spoke to them out of the mountain. No other nation. Isn't that amazing? How privileged they were how privileged they were, and he's saying, you saw my glory. We haven't seen that. We see it by faith, but we haven't seen it in person. And these people, the ones who were children under 20 years old, they're still alive in this present time. They saw that. They heard that. They heard their parents talk about it. Uh, they uh, remembered that experience, and no other nation had had that. So he said, you teach this to your children. You teach it to your grandchildren. Now, why is he saying that? Because they hadn't seen it. They hadn't seen it. 
you know what I worry about sometimes? And, you know, I, my kids are in here, and so I always... But you know what I worry about is that my wife and I came out of life of sin. And we, we didn't grow up in church. We didn't know the Lord. We got married. Uh, she didn't make me happy. I didn't make her happy. I thought she was supposed to, and she thought I was supposed to, and neither one of us were willing to do it. And we were miserable people. Now, not every day was miserable because you had sex. But you, under, you understand? But... I don't mean to shock you. I'm just saying we, we just live in a, a real life. But we just weren't happy people. We weren't happy people, and, and so we, we were struggling in life. And we were struggling. And, and you know what happened is that when the Lord saved us, and we were adults and the, and with children, and the Lord saved us, and our lives began to change. And so what, what we've experienced is that we came out of the darkness into the light. And our kids were never in the darkness. Now, they were sinners. They were born sinners. And our grandchildren were born sinners. But they weren't in the darkness like we were coming into the light, where, where it is a definitive change that you're going this way with your life, and now you're going this way with your life. And... And then our grandchildren have always been in church. Always been in church. They've all made a profession of faith in Christ. They've always been in church. But what I'm saying is that I don't think they fully understand the danger of over here. Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't fully understand that danger. It doesn't scare them like it does me. It doesn't frighten them that their life can be destroyed and so, that's why we have to teach this. There is a glory to God that we need to understand. There is a glory to God. He, and we're going, to room, we're going to read, if I quit getting off track and talking about sex, we're going, to, we're going to read that God is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. So, he gives them a revelation of His glory. How privileged is that? How privileged? How privileged we are that we have a revelation of His glory. We have seen Jesus Christ. He is the Word that became flesh, and we beheld His glory. Now, I haven't seen Him with my eyes, but I've seen Him with the eye of faith. I, I've seen Him with, in, in the Word manifest to me by the Spirit, that changed my life and, and saved me. And you have too. That's why you're here this, this morning. So he gave them a, re, a revelation of his glory. What a privilege. And then he gave them a new beginning. One verse, verse 20. He gave them a new beginning. Uh, we read it in verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of an iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. He's reminding them, see, these younger people now at the second time preparing to enter the kingdom, they may not remember so much about the iron furnace, the iron furnace. You remember during this journey, the people kept saying, you remember, boy, back in Egypt, we had those leeks and onions and, you know, we had, you know, life. So you brought us, Moses, you brought us out here to, so we'd die in the desert. And we remember back there that we had these good things to eat and, 
And now all we have is this stinking manna, and it's just, you know, we're, we're still... And he's saying, you've forgotten it was an iron furnace. And, and, and when, I, when I read that, I try to make biblical application. I need to remember that God has delivered me from the fire of hell. And I didn't deserve it, but he has delivered me from the fire of hell. I'll never experience that because of the grace of God. I need to remember that. Sometimes when I'm feeling sorry for myself, when I'm feeling sorry that I don't have what you have or what the world has, or I need to remember God delivered me from hell. He delivered me from the just punishment that I deserve, but he has delivered me. And then he gives them the promise of the land, verse 21. Furthermore, the Lord, the, the Lord was angry with me for your sake. This is Moses. We already read what Moses had to say about this. He, he calls it this good land. I've given you this good land. Um, I want you to remember when, when you're doing Bible study or when you're reading or when you get a postcard that has a scripture verse on it, the promises made to Israel, all the promises made to Israel are not made to us. They were under the old covenant, and that old covenant included the land. And we don't dwell in the land. We're, we're not, our covenant is to do with Christ. Christ is our rest. They were going to go into the land and find their rest in the land, but our rest is in Christ. And so don't ever get confused when you see those verses or you're reading and saying, why hasn't God given that to me because he's given that to them? And it's because that they were under a covenant that included the land and, and we are not. So he's given to you that good land. And then uh, God wants them to know he's not limited by, what, by images that they're going to see. Verse 23, take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and made for yourself a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And I think if, you're, if you do any Bible study at all, you know the word jealous doesn't mean, it's not the way we use it. God is zealous for his glory. And if, if, if you make an image of God, and the Jews were going to do that, they were going to have high places in the hills, uh, and they were going to have carved images, they were going to do that in their future. And God's warning them against that future. But then some of the Jews, made a, they made an idol out of the temple and the temple worship. Instead of it being a path to God, they made it an end unto itself. It's very subtle when we do that. I think for us it would be like if, if we come to church on Sunday morning, especially if we come to Sunday school and then we go to church, and we check the box and say, I've done my Christian duty, and I'm basically, that's it for the week. I'm going to do my work and Live, my, live however I want to, and I'm not constrained by any of the principles of God's Word. I'm, I'm going to live free and do whatever I please. But I went to church on Sunday, and so I have checked that box, and I'm home free. You understand the, you understand the principle of the same? But God is saying to him, you're, you're, you're not to limit me by an image, because whatever you make an idol, whatever you make a, a substitute for God, you're limiting God himself, and 
it will destroy you. Verse 25, when you beget children and grandchildren have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, it will lead to judgment. Verse 26, I will call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. And you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. Verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the people and you will be few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. They're going to go into the land. They're going to conquer the land. They're going to dwell there for several hundred years. And then the, then the Babylonian captivity is going to come. And you know, the Babylonian captivity comes because the people didn't do what Moses was challenging them to do. They didn't glorify God. They accepted what God gave them. They dwelt in the land. And one of the, one of the things that you read when you read the prophets is that you, and, and the prophets are looking ahead, and then some of them are looking back. And one of the things you, you realize is that they dwelt in the land 490 years, and every, every seventh year they were to let the land lay fallow. It's like their Sabbath day, God, like, but it's a Sabbath year. God's, every seventh year you weren't to farm, you were to let it lay fallow. And God has said, on the sixth year, I will give you double crops. Okay, that's what they did with manna. So on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much manna as they did every other day. And the seventh day, it was still fresh, and they ate it, and there was no manna on the seventh day. But they had provision from the sixth day. God said, I want you to do that when you're farming, or you have orchards or vineyards, whatever it is, that you let them lay fallow on the seventh year. And they did not do it for 490 years. And then you read, I think it's in Isaiah, that it said they spent that 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Maybe it's Daniel. They spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity because that was the total of the Sabbath years that they did not observe. Isn't that interesting? You know, God said, you have to trust me. You trust me and walk with me and live before me, and I, I will bless you. But if you don't, I'm going, to sca- I'm going to scatter you in the nations. So that was the first scattering. And then we come to the New Testament, and we read where Jesus comes into, Naz- comes into Jerusalem, and he weeps over Jerusalem. And he said, had you only known what I have for you, but they reject him, and God scatters them. And he's, in 70 A.D., Titus came in, the Roman general, and uh, they, they basically destroyed uh, Jerusalem. And uh, about 30 years later, they basically destroyed the nation of Israel, and they have been scattered now for almost 2,000 years among the nations. This, this very thing that God warned them against, he brought, to judgment, he brought to judgment against them because of their disobedience. Now, we're Christian and we're secure in the hand of God. No, no one's ever going to pluck us out of the hand of God. We're never going to lose our salvation. But that doesn't mean God won't judge me. It doesn't mean he won't hold me accountable if I ignore his principles and sin against him knowingly or even 
unknowingly. If I sin against him, he's going to hold me accountable. So um, I, have it, I have in my notes here that uh, it led to judgment, and that judgment was being scattered among the nations. Um, and they have been, uh, since uh, the time of Christ, after the time of Christ, the next generation, scattered among the nations. And then we read this in verse 28 about while they're scattered. It said, and there and there, scattered among the nations, you will serve gods, the work of men's hand. Gods with a little g, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Now, what I'm going to say is a generalization. It's not, it's not, a, it's not fact for every Jewish person, but a generalization. You know what? The Jews and their, and their dispersion throughout the world, they've been very good at business. They've been very good at business. They've been very good at finance. Uh, and it has caused more resentment against them because they are good at business and good at finance. So what have they served for these last two millennials? They have served wood, hay, stubble. They've served those things and have been very good at it. Now, I'm not talking about every single Jew. Not, and again, what I, I qualify, it's a generalization that I'm saying to you. But it's, it's acknowledged throughout our world. And it's caused resentment among the nations that they dwell in. They've been scattered throughout the nation. And we all know the history of World War II and, and the Holocaust and all the things that have happened. But then we read this. And this is our God of grace. This is our God of grace to us and to them in verse 29. But... But from there, from the scattering, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. And when you are in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. In 1917, there was the Balfour Declaration, right after World War II, or, during, or World War I, or during it. And the Balfour Declaration allowed a Jewish homeland, so it allowed in this land of Palestine, a return of the Jewish people to dwell there. So it was petitioned off, and they had this land, and the PLO, I, I'm going to give you a little, the PLO wasn't in existence. Today there's the Palestine Libera, Liberation Organization there, and they claim the land is their homeland. They weren't even in existence at that point in time. There were Arabs, people who lived in the land, but it wasn't the PLO. And so they came into existence after, after Israel was given the right to return there. So Israel began, the people began to return uh, after World War, World War I, and in 1948, they declared themselves a nation. So now they're cohesive as a nation. This is prophecy come to pass. God has said, I'm gonna, when you don't disobey me, I'm going to scatter you among the nations, but I'm a merciful God, and I made a covenant with you. I made a covenant with you, and I'm going to draw you back. And he's drawing them back. Now, they're a secular, na they're a secular nation for the most part. Uh, the, the majority of the Jewish people there, from what I read, are secular. There's some, there's some religious people there, but they're, they're a secular nation. And even the religious people there, uh, other than a few Christians, don't, don't believe, the Jewish people don't accept Christ as Savior. They don't accept him as their Messiah. But 
you know what? They're going to one day. And, and one, one day, this is what God's going to do. One day, he said, you will seek, verse 29, you seek the Lord, you'll find him, you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. And when in your distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to you. That's, gonna, that's in the future. That's going to happen. I think it's going to happen pretty soon. But I thought it was going to happen pretty soon 10 years ago. And uh, what is pretty soon? I'm not sure. I hope it happens in my lifetime. I, I want to see it in the flesh. I'm going to see it one way or the other, but I want to see it in the flesh. But that's up to the Lord. So there's going to be a return to faith for the nation of Israel, and it's going to be a return to the land. And then, before we run out of time, this sermon is going to end with a proclamation of the absolute sovereignty of God. I, I just love this chapter. This is a great chapter of the Bible. So, <clears throat> read with me in verse 32. So this, this paragraph begins with this. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and lived? So, God has Moses saying to us, has anything like this ever happened before? Any nation ever experienced this? Any other people ever been this privileged? No, it is a covenant with Israel. It is a covenant with his people. They heard the voice out of the burning bush, Moses did, but then the whole nation heard the voice out of the burning mountain. They, they heard the voice of God. I, I've heard the voice of God internally. I've heard the voice of God from his word. I'm looking forward one day when I hear the voice of God with my ears audibly. Now, people tell me they do, but either they're deluded or lying. Well, you know, you, you can take, or they're somewhere in between. They're only half crazy and making up the other half. But these people heard the voice of God. And we're going to one day, so we're living in this in-between. But here's what God's saying to them. They're, they're, this is what he's saying. This is what God did for you. This is who God is. I've told you a dozen times at least, our worship is dependent upon our, our understanding of who God is. And the, and the greater our understanding of who God is, the greater our worship and the greater our peace because I'm not concerned about what happens politically. I'm not concerned about what happens economically. I'm not saying I don't care. I don't, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define my future. It doesn't define my trust in God because I have a greater vision of God. God's told me I'm going to face some problems in life. God's told me that unless he tarries, this body is going to die. I, I am mortal. But one day I'm going to be, this, this mortal is going to put on immortality because of what Christ did. And because of Christ's resurrection, I'm going to be resurrected one day. So I have this hope based upon the promises of God. 
and I have this uh, confidence on the promises of God. This is, and it's because he's absolutely sovereign. When he said he would do it, he will do it. And I, I believe he'll keep his word. So he said, never been a nation like this that I've made a covenant with. And now you get to <clears throat> down to verse 34 and he reiterates it. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Now remember, he had already described it. It was an iron furnace. And what that meant with an iron furnace, they were never going to get out. They were never going to get out. I mentioned to you last week, Egypt was one of the most powerful countries ever at this point in time. It was probably the most powerful country uh, at existence at that time. And they were in this iron furnace. They had no hope, but God delivered them. And God delivered them in a mighty way. He did it with the signs and wonders against all the powers of Egypt. The people didn't have to fight. They walked out of there with the riches of their neighbors in their pockets. Because God not only delivered them, but he gave them that wealth. And and now what we're reading, he's saying, has any nation ever experienced this? No nation has ever experienced it. This is your sovereign God. This is what... He has doing. And now verse 39. Um, and verse 39, and it gives us an accountability. Let me see what I skipped over. Have I read 35? Have I read 35? I did? I did not. Okay. Let's read it. Verse 35. Let me see what my heading is. No other nations had this revelation from God about himself or his love for his people. Verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than, mightier than you, to bring you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is to this day. None other beside him. There's none other beside him. Our God is incomprehensible. So the gods of Egypt were shown to be worthless. Um, And then he ends with it, we are accountable to this God. So we've had this great revelation of God. And we've seen it it by faith, but we've seen it in history. What what these people were looking at was present experience. We're looking at their past experience and saw God work. And and now he's saying to them, uh, you're accountable. Because of what you know, you're accountable. Verse 39. Therefore know this, and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep keep his statutes and commandments which command you this day, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. All time. 
the land and the, around the nation of Israel is their land for all time. Now, they didn't always dwell in it. They didn't always possess control of it, but in all time. <clears throat> in the Six-Day War, 1967, Israel was back up to uh, the Balfour Declaration. They were allotted a part of what's now today the nation of Israel. In the Six-Day War, 19, uh, they, they had a war in 1948 when they declared their independence, gained a little land area. The Six-Day War, they tripled... In six days, they tripled their land holdings, and then uh, the world made them give most of it back uh, to have a peace treaty with the Arabs in the area, uh, and they gave most of that land back. But when you go back and God gave Abraham what's today Israel and much of the surrounding area about three times as much around the surrounding area. And God said, it's theirs for all time. They're going to come back. They're going to come back one day. They're going to recognize Christ as Savior. And during that millennial kingdom, now I'm giving you just a bird's eye view, but during that millennial kingdom, they're going to dwell in that land. That land's theirs. It's their covenant relationship with God. And, and they're going to possess it. And when we, we're going to be in that millennial kingdom, ruling and reigning with God and uh, we will see Israel in the land, trusting in Christ, and become the nation that God intended them to be as a beacon to the nations of the world. It, God's not blessing them for their own well-being and their own self-glory. He's blessing them to become a blessing to the world. It's what he intended all the time. So he's saying here, you're accountable for these things. I'm commanding you this day. You keep these things. I'm commanding you these days to, to keep these things. Now, let me just end with a couple of thoughts. We, we haven't seen the glory of God on the mountain. But, um, in fact, there seems some dispute which mountain it is uh, these, these days in, in, in the area, whether it's actually, well, never, never mind. But there's some dispute about even which mountain. That we haven't seen that. But we've seen Jesus Christ. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, he became flesh. We beheld his glory. See, we, we've seen, if we take an overview of after Christ came and resurrected, we've seen what that knowledge has done in our world. That knowledge has changed not only people's hearts, it's changed the direction of nations. It, it's, it's changed people from being self-centered into benevolent people. It's caused us to look outside ourselves, to look at other people. See, the power of the resurrected Christ changes not only people, it changes nations, and one day will change the world. We have beheld his glory, and it's the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And that glory will be more and more revealed. It's revealed to us now by the Spirit but it'll be more and more revealed one day in the physical world uh, when Christ comes to rule and reign. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 2, chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we see Jesus, who's made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Do you ever think about the death of Christ was the glory and honor of God. 
It's what, this ver- it's what this verse says. The death of Christ was the glory and honor of God. You see, God created us, and he created us in his image, but we have desecrated the image. So we in our sinful state have desecrated, because we're born sinners after Adam's sin, by one man sin came and, 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 and sin passed upon all mankind. So all of us are sinners. We're born sinners. And we have desecrated the glory of God. These bodies reflect the glory. We've desecrated the glory of God. But Christ came, and, and Christ came to taste death, that that glory is restored. God is the sovereign. God is the ruler. And when we live in sin, it's a, it's a, I'm going to use my word, it's a smirch upon his glory that I as his creature will, 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 don't reflect his glory. I reflect my own glory. I don't reflect his glory. And so when Christ died and, and brought salvation to us, and we reflect the glory of God. We give God, I don't say, man, I saved myself. I was, a, I was a sinner and I saved myself. I reformed myself. I made myself perfect. We can't do that, but, but it's for God's glory that he redeemed us. So the death of Christ is the glory of God. The death of Christ restores the glory of God. The death of Christ gives glory to God. Uh, and so we trust in that. I'm going to read. A, I'm, I'm going to read out of Psalm 50, and it's just a, I condensed it down. I think Psalm 50 is not written about what we've just, but it's it, it is a condensation of what we have just studied in this chapter about the sovereignty and glory of God. So I'm condensing it. You, you, you don't need to turn there. It won't be on the screen. But just listen. Uh, the mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be a mighty tempest all around him. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you to pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. That's not talking about works, but it's talking about when our hearts toward God, he reveals his salvation to us, he reveals his glory to us, when our heart is toward him, when we desire him, he reveals that to us. I want that to be true in my life. It isn't always, but it's a choice I make. I want that to be true, and it, I hope it's true in your life as well. And when we deviate from it, let us come back. Let us come back in repentance and faith and to the glory of God. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what Christ has done. Uh, Lord Christ opened a way that we could come before you and, Lord, not be consumed by our sin, but you take you took our sin upon yourself. And, uh, Lord, we're grateful. Uh, help us, uh, Lord, as we reflect on your glory, that we, uh, Lord, keep your commandments and follow you and uh, honor you and be blessed in the doing. Uh, Father, bless the service to come, and uh, we, your children, 
In Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you in church.